Hey, y'all, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're trying to start on time so we can uh, end on time. Uh, I know it's the end of the week and uh, the end of the day, so appreciate everybody coming out. Uh, our goal tomorrow is to fill up the far row um, of, uh, of tables. Um, anyway, this is our annual. We do this every year. It's a Gospel in the Heart seminar. We do two of these a year, uh, and this one is... As it says, gospel and the heart. So more about the individual. Uh, and in the fall, we'll do one called gospel in the world. Uh, and so our emphasis is a little bit bigger and on the, the bigger picture. Uh, but what we have tonight and uh, tomorrow is uh, Chip Zimmer. He's from, uh, actually came from Billings, Montana uh, to us. So when he left yesterday, he was delayed because they had to de-ice the plane. Uh, and he landed in humid loveliness here. Um, quite a change from uh, the way he began his day to the way he ended his day. But anyway, so, uh, so welcome Chip. Chip comes from, uh, as I say, Montana. He was with uh, Peacemaker Ministries for a number of years, uh, actually served in the Diplomatic Corps in the State Department and uh, did some other things, and then for the last few years has been working with uh, Relational Wisdom uh, 360. Um, I, uh, I had a chance to go through this with a different facilitator last fall, and uh, just immensely helpful. Uh, I don't think you're necessarily going to hear anything that uh, you've never heard before. You may hear it put in different terms, but it's just immensely, immensely helpful and very, very practical. Uh, and so I hope coming away from it tomorrow, uh, we have some skills we've picked up on and some things we can apply together uh, in our community groups, uh, in uh, our friendships in our congregation together as a church. So let me pray for our time, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, uh, we bless you. Uh, we bless you for uh, the day that you have given to us, the week, uh, as it draws to a close, and uh, we bless you for uh, each other, uh, for giving us one another. And we realize that so often, uh, or too often, our communication with one another suffers because of uh, lots of different things, uh, but mostly due to our sin or the sin of another. And so we pray that as we enter into this evening and, and tomorrow and we, and we talk about things uh, both at our tables and with Chip, uh, as we listen, as we think, as we, uh, as we ponder, uh, that you, uh, by your Spirit, would come uh, and, and help us, help us along to become better skilled as communicators, better skilled as friends, uh, husbands, wives, parents, uh, so forth and so on. Um, so we thank you for Chip. Thank you for bringing him safely to us. And we pray that uh, our time together would be a, a blessing. Uh, thank you for all those who have come. Uh, and we pray for a safe journey back home this evening. Uh, and so bless us now uh, and make us a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You should be able to hear me in the back. Can you? Good. Okay. Our test worked well. I'm going to stand a little off to the side here so that I'm not in the way of the screen for you all. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. Uh, it's really nice to be in a warm climate. Um, Billings uh, tends to be a little on the coolish side. Uh, being in Montana, we get a lot of cold weather coming down from Canada, so I appreciate being in a warmer climate. Uh, thank you again for inviting me. As Jonathan said, a lot of what we'll be talking about, you already know. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot that's new, uh, but I hope we can organize it in a way that's very helpful, that makes it accessible, the kind of thing where you can begin to think more in terms of where you might be struggling uh, in developing relationships and the relationships that you have. And give you some ideas, some skills and habits of thought, ways of thinking about them that may be helpful and can help you overcome those barriers that right now might be making it more difficult to have the kinds of uh, relationships that you would like to have. Uh, just a couple of notes in housekeeping. Uh, what we're going to do, everybody should have this workbook. We're just going to work through it from the front to the back uh, today and tomorrow. We'll go through parts one, two, and three tonight and we'll go through parts four, five, and six uh, tomorrow, and I'll just, I'll try to keep you clued into which page we're on as we go along. Um, 
One thing I always ask is for you to please help me by being similar to the Bereans who were commented on in Acts. Anybody recognize that name, the Church of Berea, and why they were commended? <laughs> Someone does. Why, why were the Bereans commended? Do you recall? Yeah, they, they searched the scriptures to see whether or not what Paul was telling them was true. Now, I hope everything I say is biblically accurate. But if there's something which I say which doesn't sit right with you, please let me know so we can talk about it and I'll share it with the rest of the group if it's a matter either of I'm incorrect in the way I've explained something or more often what happens is I don't explain something very well. Okay, so I'd like you all to be Bereans as we go through this and make sure that everything that we talk about links in some dynamic way to Scripture, to the Word of God. Well, we're talking about relational wisdom. <clears throat> and for all of us, relationships matter. They're really critical. We live in relationships, uh, whether it's in family, uh, the church, our workplace, our community, every day. We interact with, uh, with a lot of folks, and relationships make a huge difference. Uh, they're the source often of our greatest pleasures in life, but also some of us, our deepest struggles. Uh, and many of us who are here have been through relational breakdown, where you've lost uh, something that was very important to you, some relationship, whether through a marriage failure or a loss uh, of a family member or uh, perhaps leaving a place of work because the relationships um, weren't everything they needed to be. All of us have struggled with it at time to time. So relationships matter. And they matter to God. There's a whole lot of scripture which talks about relationships, as you guys already know, and as I'm going to highlight as we go through this, one of the ways that we demonstrate that we are Jesus's, that we are truly followers of his, isn't so much by the correctness of our theology, right? But it's by what? The love we have one for another. Okay? That's a relational quality. That's how people know who we belong to. It's the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, which gets explained relationally. And I'm not saying theology is not important. It's critical. Okay? But if we have great theology and crummy relationships actually living out the truth of Scripture, most of the world is going to look at that and call us hypocrites. Say, so you preach one thing, but you live a different way. So we want to make sure that the way we live toward one another, the quality of our relationships, is consistent with the gospel and with the tenets of the Christian faith. Okay? So relationships matter a lot. Now I'm going to use this term, relational wisdom. If you get stuck on that, because we're going to go into some definitions a little bit later this evening. Just remember that this is what relational, with, relational wisdom is all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. And embedded in that, you can hear three primary relationships that we're going to focus on. Love the Lord your God, right? There's a vertical dimension and your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Three different aspects of relationship, God, neighbor, and self, that are important for us to keep in mind. And oftentimes we don't think of us having a relationship with ourselves. And yet so much scripture is geared toward what we're to think, what we're to do. And if you're like me, probably the person you speak with most each day is yourself. I do it a lot quietly in my own mind, but there's a lot of conversation that goes on there about what I should be doing, what I should be saying, um, how I should respond, and so on. So learning to do that. And then also, this from John 13, we've touched on this a little bit, this new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Because this is how people know that we are Christ. This is what Jesus says in John. People will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So that's really all we're doing tonight and tomorrow is examining more closely what does that look like? What does it mean to have love for one another? Love for God and also love for myself 
making sure that my internal life, my, my spiritual life is everything that it should be. And this is key. Just as I have loved you. What's the model that we see in Jesus of love? It's self-sacrifice, right? It's laying aside my rights sometimes in order to be able to bless or work or meet the needs of someone else. One of the things that impresses me most about this whole structure of relationships is that it was God who took the initiative to reach out for us. You know, I've I've worked a lot... um, Jonathan mentioned I worked for Peacemaker Ministries for a long time. I've been involved in a lot of mediations where relationships are broken down and you're trying to help people put them back together. And one of the hardest things to do when you have a relationship that's gone bad is to reach out to someone who now functionally has become an enemy. But what's our model? Our model is God who did what? Who reached out to us while we were yet sinners, Romans says. While we were yet sinners... God did what? He sent his son. Okay. God took the initiative. A holy God. Perfect. Reaching out to sinful human beings like you and I. So there's the initiative. If we're to imitate God, learning to take the initiative is something that's profoundly part of that. Okay. And anytime you see this, just as I have loved you, I hope you'll keep that in mind. Don't wait. Don't wait to start doing things in a different way. Take the initiative and reach out to God just as, or to other people, just as he has reached out to us. Now, some, we're on uh, page, uh, what is it, page one, I think, of your page. Are we already over to page three? Oh, actually, we're on page one. Why is relational wisdom worth pursuing? Well, the first big reason is, as I've just been saying, because life is all about relationship. Life is all about relationship. I want to show a quick clip here, a video clip that illustrates this in an unusual way. By the way, uh, what we'll be doing over the course of today and tomorrow is I'll be showing some videos because they're really good ways in a short period of time to capture some of the emotional dynamics that we're talking about. Um, Also, uh, we'll be doing some small group discussions and plenary sharing with one another, and then I'll be talking and I'll have some questions for you as well that you'll be hopefully working on. Okay, let's just take a look at this. We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles, the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road. Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy. The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring even if it meant taking a dive on the one-yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players. What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him. Because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before. Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like? Awesome. (laughs) It was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your camera out. I'm like, oh, I can't. Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment, but they got the significance. Somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. 
Today, Keith is a new kid. Although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you? It was like, like once I saw him going, I was smiling like about like here. <laughs> Wide receiver Justice Miller. Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face. Why did it affect you so much? Because like he's never been like cool or popular and he went from being like pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day. Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory. Well, I kind of went from being somebody like mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day in everyone's life. Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Olivet, Michigan. Isn't that cool? Do you think those lives have been changed? Possibly. This may be the kind of thing that stays with one or more of those young men forever. And it's probably not so much the cognitive understanding of what they did as that emotional content that's behind it, of the joy that they saw in Keith's face and that they experienced when he scored that touchdown. Emotions count for just a tremendous amount. And oftentimes, in, in, in my Christian experience, in the churches that I've been part of, I'm not PCA, we don't talk much about emotions. We talk about theology a lot, and it's all great. We've got wonderful preaching and, lo- and wonderful pastors. But the emotional side of life, these, these gifts of emotions that God has given us, uh, oftentimes just aren't discussed, except in a negative way. You know, don't be angry, don't be bitter that sort of thing, the don'ts that we all hear a lot of. Okay, well, why pursue a relational wisdom? To be blessed by God. Okay, the more that we understand about relationships and how relationships are meant to be structured, we will experience God's blessing in the fruitfulness of those relationships that we have with family and friends and co-workers and people in the community and our neighbors. To have less conflict in richer relationships. That's true. As I said, I've spent a lot of time uh, working as a mediator for folks. And I can tell you, the more that we are able to make progress on the relational side of things, helping them to lay aside, to ask for forgiveness, to confess their sins and their wrong to one another, is that relational element is taking care of whatever it was that they were arguing over tends to become less and less of a barrier. And if there's really the beginning of true reconciliation, it's often very easy for people to come to an agreement over what it was that they disagreed about because that relationship becomes important and finding a solution that blesses the other person becomes a priority. Whereas before, oftentimes, they were using that particular argument in order to, as a hammer, basically to get at or to get back at someone else. So to have less conflict, richer relationships, bring out the best in other people. Boy, and we saw that in, in that video clip, all the good things that happened in those kids. Relationship usually trumps technical expertise. Now this part's really interesting, I think, because for a long time, uh, we've thought of technical expertise as really the criteria, criterion, uh, by which uh, people are assessed in the workplace. If you're going to apply for a job, what do you do? You submit a resume, and your resume has all of these degrees and work experience and skills, and maybe you have some references down there, and they call up the reference, and they tell the reference says all about your great experience and how skillful you are and how you did this and that. Okay, but one thing that's become more apparent in the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've all known this, is that the relational ability of a person counts as much or more than their technical expertise. And a lot of companies not only are beginning to train for this, they call it, it's called in the secular world, emotional intelligence. How many of you have heard that term before? EQ or EI, emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's all about learning to understand and manage our emotions within ourselves and then as we relate to other people. And what we've done with relational wisdom is we've tried to take that, and there's a lot of really good stuff. If you have an opportunity to read some of the better uh, books or articles on emotional intelligence, it's really worth reading. But what's missing is there's no spiritual anchor. 
Okay? It's basically, this is going to be an advantage for me, and therefore I should do this, because I'll get ahead in my career. I'll be able to make more money, whatever that might be. What we've tried to do is we've tried to anchor that in the Christian faith. Relationships matter, and it's nothing wrong with making more money and getting ahead in a career, but bringing God into the center of all of this, and then asking questions not just about how do I manage this for my benefit, but how do I serve God? How do I serve my neighbors? Is what we're trying to do with RW. Hard skills, technical expertise. It used to be that that pretty much summed up value to a group. But these days, relational abilities are becoming more and more important. In fact, there are some business schools uh, that in order to get into the graduate program, MBA, you now have to take a, an EQ test to see whether or not you have the kinds of relational skills that will help you to work effectively in the workplace. Okay? It's becoming increasingly important. Corporations, governments are spending a lot of money bringing in consultants both to evaluate and then train their people in how to be better at relational work. And if you've ever been in a workplace situation or a family situation, don't want to get too personal here, where you have one, one person whose relational skills are just abysmal, you know how, despite their knowledge and despite how much expertise they may have, it's really hard in that situation. In the workplace, they may be poisoning uh, the teams that they're part of, uh, the relationships, talking behind people's backs in ways that aren't helpful. Okay, that whole relational component becomes a huge part of how employers are thinking these days. And if that's happening in our secular workplaces, how much more should it happen in the church, in the community of believers, that relationships matter to us so that we truly are a people of God who are seen by our demonstrated love for one another. And you see, when we did this the first time, we were thinking, well, it's really hard skills plus soft skills that are all about our value to a group. But in thinking about it, we thought, you know, you know, it's really not a plus sign, it's a multiplication sign. It's that X, that your hard skills times your soft skills are what manage, soft skills being relational skills, because those magnify or diminish our contribution, our value, our ability to be heard, to interact well with other people, to be a good contributor, to think in terms of building something together rather than being the one who always has to be right, okay, who always has to be the center of attention. And so I may be a 10 on hard skills, but if I'm a zero on soft skills, what's my value to the group? 10 times zero is zero, right? 10 times one is just 10. Okay? 10 times 10, 100 is the maximum you could do. Even 6 times 8, right, is going to be better than 10 times 2. You see what we're trying to get at here? The value that the relational skills play in any group just increasingly being recognized as something that's of critical importance. Oops, oh, sorry. Let me set this up first. I'm going to back up. You guys, I'll give you a chance to get the lights. We're going to watch a little clip here. Let me set it up. This comes from a movie called Pursuit of Happiness. Some of you may have seen it. It's a true story about a guy named Chris Gardner, played by Will Smith, who wants to get into the financial services industry. And he doesn't have a great background, so he stands out in front, among other things in the movie, he stands out in front of this, this office uh, where people are going in, and there's one guy he keeps bugging about, I've got to have an interview, I really want to do this. And finally, he gets an interview. And so here's the day of the interview, and as you'll hear, the evening before, some things happened that he wasn't counting on. And he shows up in the interview not quite dressed, and not quite, um, say, having it together as much as he had hoped. So let's take a look at this clip. When we get done, I'm going to want you to just uh, talk at your tables about what relational skills you saw him display. Okay, in this clip. Mr. Gar. Thank you. 
Gardner. Chris Gardner. How are you? Good morning. Chris Gardner. Chris Gardner. Good to see you again. Chris Gardner, pleasure. I've been sitting out there for the last half hour trying to come up with a story that would explain my being here dressed like this. And, and I wanted to come up with a story that would demonstrate qualities that I'm sure you all admire here, like, like earnestness or diligence or team playing to something. And I couldn't think of anything. So the truth is, I was arrested for failure to pay parking tickets. Parking tickets? <laughs> and I ran all the way here from the, the Polk station, the police station. What were you doing before you were arrested? I was uh, painting my apartment. Is it dry now? <laughs> I hope so. Jay says you're pretty determined. Oh, he's been waiting outside the front of the building with some 40-pound gizmo for over a month. He said you're smart. I like to think so. And you want to learn this business? Yes, sir, I want to learn this business. Have you already started learning on your own? Absolutely. Jay. Yes, sir. How many times have you seen Chris? No, I don't know. One too many, apparently. Is he ever dressed like this? No. No. Jacket and tie. First in your class? In school? High school? Yes, sir. How many in the class? Uh, Twelve. It was a small town. I'll say. But I was also first in my radar class in, in the Navy, and that was a class of 20. Can I say something? Um... I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what, I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. Is that fair enough? Chris, what would you say if a guy walked in for an interview without a shirt on? And I hired him. What would you say? He must have had on some really nice pants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he got the job. And this is a true story, by the way. The real Chris Gardner did work his way into the financial services industry. I don't know to what extent Hollywood uh, ad-libbed around this. But just share with one or two people at your table, what relational skills did you see Chris Gardner demonstrate in this little segment here? And then we're going to have a little debrief and see what you guys thought. And just a heads up, I'm not looking for right answers, okay? This, there's no exam or anything like that. I just want to know, we all have relationships, we all see skills every day. Just what did you see him do that you thought was worthy of commendation? Okay? Just take a minute or two. Not the whole table. We won't have time for a big seven-person discussion. Just turn to the person next to you, one or two other people. Okay. We're not going to analyze this too much, but everybody should have by now had a chance to think of one or two things. What did you notice? What relational skills did you see on display in that little clip? He was honest. Yeah, he didn't try to pretend that something happened that hadn't happened. Sure, good. What else? He was friendly. He was friendly. Yep. What else? Humor. humor. Yeah, you know, hum humor can backfire, but it sure worked for him, didn't it? <laughs> good. Yeah, what else? Empathy. Empathy. In what sense? In that he was trying to empathize with his interviewers to say, hey, you're probably wondering why I'm yeah. Yeah. Anticipating that that would be the question on their mind. Why have you come into an interview at a big financial firm like this dressed as you are and heading it off at the pass, right? Taking the initiative there to get ahead of the curve. Good. What else? Persistent. Persistent. What particularly? Ah, yeah. 
Yeah, persistent. He'd been outside the building for a long time trying to get this interview. Anything else that occurred to you? Yeah. Wasn't defensive. Mm-hmm. He was honest. Right. Was there an alpha male in that room? Yeah, probably the gray-haired guy seemed to be the guy in charge. Okay, good. Great relational skills. One of the things um, that's interesting is when he walked into that room, he walked through the very environment that he hoped to work in. And so probably he was picking up, I would guess, uh, on some of the qualities of what was going on there, the kind of hard work and diligence and all those sorts of things that he was seeing on display uh, with all those dozens and dozens of folks there manning the phones and um, so on. So, relationship trumps expertise. In this case, it does. First in his class of 12 in high school, right? And a radar class of 20. Not a lot of expertise there, but his relational skills, his honesty, his initiative, his sense of humor are what won the day for him. So, soft skills are just so important. We can see them on display there. A couple more things we'll add to the list here. Why pursue relational wisdom? You'd be more like Jesus. Jesus was highly, highly relational, wasn't he? And we see that throughout the Gospels. His interactions with people were all about relationship in one way or another. And then to have more of God. The more we understand relationships and the more we understand what Scripture says about it, the closer we are to God's heart, to understanding what's important to Him and how we can live that out in our lives. So this gives us a sense, I hope it gives you a sense of why, relational, why relationships matter and why relational wisdom is important to pursue. It's just wisdom about how to build and maintain relationships that bring honor and glory to God in all their dimensions, with God himself, with other people, and, and with ourselves. We're going to move on to part two, which is on page five of your workbook. The Challenge of Emotions, it's called. This is actually an interesting section. I'm, not, I'm a lawyer, so I, you know, I don't know about brain chemistry. I don't understand uh, the, psych, uh, the uh, physiological wiring behind people. But we wanted to put this section in here because this, I think, is important for all of us to understand. God has created us. He's made us fearfully and wonderfully. Okay? And there's a tremendous amount of research that's gone on that actually now has been able to identify what goes on in different parts of the brain, how the electricity works, how the synapses work, the physiology of brains and how they function. It's amazing, it's amazing stuff. And God created all of this in order that we would reflect his glory and that we would serve him and serve others. So I want to spend a few minutes in this section talking about how challenging emotions are and a little bit of the physiology behind that, as well as begin to think through what we can do about that and how we can begin to take control of our emotions rather than having them control us. And we're going to start off here with a little clip. It's from, sorry, I'm making you guys get up and down constantly. We're going to start with a clip. It's from a movie called Stepmom. And it stars um, Julia Roberts as a new, newly married woman who has inherited children uh, from her husband who divorced Susan Sarandon and now has remarried Julia Roberts. And what's happening in this clip is that the two women, the natural mom and the stepmom, are getting together and having a conversation. The natural mom, played by Susan Sarandon, is terminally ill. Okay, so this is one of those conversations that they want to have before she passes away and Julia Roberts becomes the sole parent for these children. Let's just take a look. I never wanted to be a mom. Well, sharing it with you is one thing. Carrying it alone the rest of my life. Always being compared to you. You're perfect. 
They worship you. I just don't want to be looking over my shoulder every day for 20 years, knowing that someone else would have done it right, done it better, the way that I can't. What do I have that you don't? You're Mother Earth incarnate. You're hip and fresh. You ride with Anne. You'll learn. You know every story, every wound, every memory. Their whole life's happiness is wrapped up in you. Every single moment. Don't you get it? <laughs> Look down the road to her wedding. I'm in a room alone with her. Fitting her veil. Fluffing her dress. Telling her, no woman has ever looked that beautiful. And my fear is that she'll be thinking, I wish my mom was here. You can feel the emotional content there, the tension that's present initially, and then how they begin to work through that as they share with each other. Emotions are just the driver of our lives and of difficult conversations, as that, as that little clip demonstrates. Our relationships are fueled by emotions. Um, there are actually physiological experiences, and we'll go into that a little bit here in a couple minutes. <coughs> Excuse me. Oftentimes, that's easy to lose sight of, that uh, there is actually something that is happening chemically, physically, biologically in our brains when we experience emotions. And scientists who've been looking at this can actually pinpoint with quite a bit of accuracy these days what part of the brain is functioning when we experience different emotions. Okay. But all of this is just to say that that's how God has wired us. That's not necessarily how we are to um, be driven. The challenge for all of us when we have emotions is to use them in ways that, that bring honor and glory to God. Okay. And learning to manage them, to take control of our emotional life, is a big part of what relational wisdom is all about. Emotions provide our greatest pleasures, whether it's a child at a computer board okay, that you find attractive. For myself, my greatest pleasure happens uh, whenever I'm with my family, someplace that we love. Usually it's mountains or seashore. Okay. That's where my sense of well-being is highest, my sense of peace and of rightness. Emotions fuel that, okay, that sense of this is how life should be drives a great part of the pleasure that I have at that point. But they also bring us tremendous pain. Right? They can bring all kinds of difficulties, hardness of heart, bitterness, frustration. As you look at this, different emotions are actually being displayed in that photo 
aren't they? What do you see? What, what emotions do you think are being conveyed or being attempted to be conveyed by, the, by this photograph? How about the head against the wall? The eyes closed. Exhaustion, yeah. What else? Sadness. Absolutely. Okay, like depression, because of the light and darkness. You know, I hadn't noticed that before. Good, thanks for pointing that out. Anything else? Hopelessness. Now, they're also holding hands. There's a wall in between them, right. There's something that is blocking them, and yet they're reaching around that wall with their hands. What does that symbolize? Love and hurt. Love and hurt? Yeah, a reaching out of wanting to be reconnected, okay? A sense maybe of hope that this isn't over yet. There's still some way in which we can pull this together. And so much of what we all experience in life has these two elements in it. Relational difficulties uh, bring great pain, but also when relationships are right, they're wonderful sources of pleasure for us. You know, Jesus felt a wide range of emotions, and we read about these in Scripture. It's easy to overlook the fact that he is spoken of as loving others, showing compassion, joy, pity, anger, sorrow, agony. Okay? All of these are emotions that Jesus experienced. And yet, as he lived this rich emotional life that we read about in Scripture, he did so without sin. Right? He was able to use the emotions that God had put within him in an appropriate way, okay, in a way that was sinless. <sighs> Not us. We struggle. We are like computers with defective motherboards. Okay. Anybody know what a motherboard is? It's, apparently, it's the guts of a computer. I didn't know what a motherboard was until my daughter called me up uh, from college and said that her computer had gone bad, she took it into a shop to have it looked at, and that the motherboard was shot. And I said, well, first of all, what's a motherboard? It's kind of the brains of the computers. They said, okay, so how much can it cost these days? Well, it turned out you couldn't replace the motherboard uh, for less cost than what a new computer was. And so the whole thing had to be replaced. In a lot of ways, we are like that. Sometimes our circuits work just great, and sometimes they don't work so great. And that's just life. That's what we experience. Okay? And we'll have emotions that we enjoy and emotions that we find difficult. And learning to manage all of this well is what relational wisdom is trying to get at. If you take a look at page six, what we've done on this page is we've tried to actually, you can see at the top there, begin to develop a categorization of emotions. There are actually 96 different emotions that are listed there. The English language is wonderful for the range of nuance that we have explaining, uh, and that we can all understand, explaining all the fine gradations of emotions that we experience. We've tried to group them into eight core segments. You can see at the top there, sadness, shame, fear, enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, and anger. And then actually to take those eight categories and put them into three categories. The ones on the left being basically governed by a fearful spirit, a fearful mindset. The ones on the right, more or less an anger-oriented mindset. And the ones in the middle, spirit of love and self-control. And when you have time, uh, not now, uh, go through that list and see if there's one of those 96 that you've never experienced. My guess is that everybody has at least uh, been through all 96, and you may find that there are others as well uh, that, aren't sim that simply aren't listed there. And one of the things that the physiologists have been able to tell us is that when 
data, when sensory perceptions come into our mind, they travel a route that takes them through what's called the limbic system first before reading, reaching the neocortex. Now, the reason that's important is because the limbic system is where our emotions are generated. And this actually means that when data comes into the brain, it's running through that emotional response area before it gets to the neocortex, which is where rational thought begins to take place. And so if you've ever found yourself having something happen, especially something surprising okay, that you weren't counting on, and you had this quick, sharp emotional response, whether it was fear or anger, whatever it might have been, okay, that's why. It's because that data first gets processed emotionally, and then a couple nanoseconds later, it actually reaches the neocortex. And so some folks have very difficult, great difficulty in managing that. And as soon as that limbic system is engaged, the amygdala uh, will actually cause a response. They will respond immediately, whether it be with a statement that maybe they regret later on, okay, or an action uh, that they wish they hadn't done, whatever that might be. And this is why. This is what's happening. The emotions can really step in and hijack the way that we would otherwise like to respond. And there's this concept or this idea, as you can see, which is called emotional hijacking. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and that's where this amygdala response is so strong that it actually focuses all of our attention on the emotional content, and we become overwhelmed by that emotion. And that emotion drives us forward and begins to dictate what we're going to say and how we're going to say it, the behavior that we're going to generate. And we're going to take a little look at this here in a movie clip. We'll see this actually happen. Uh, this is from a movie called Cinderella Man, which is about a professional boxer named James Braddock, who won the world championship. <clears throat> but in his world championship bout, he was scheduled to fight against a guy who um, had killed two men in the ring. His wife, Mae Braddock, is not real pleased with this. And so you'll see as this clip is set up and we take a look at it, okay, how it is that she responds. Okay. Sorry, did I forget? Hmm. Yeah, emotional hijacking. Okay, here we go. All right, three-punch combo, okay? Pop, pop, bang. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that's good. One more time. Keep your thumbs tucked in. Keep your elbows in. All right, that's enough now. Oh, I'm stinging that. That's enough, please. Yeah, that's good. Hey, where's the defense? Come on, see your hands. I want to. Bang, 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 bang. Come on, Howie, Howie. <laughs> no, no boxing in the house. No boxing out of the house. All right, no boxing. Period. You're gonna stay in school, and then you're gonna go to college, and you're gonna have professions because you're not gonna have your skull smashed in too. Do you understand me? Is that clear? Yeah, put your boys gonna get ready for bed, right? Jimmy, what's worth it? Huh? What's worth it? 
I have to believe I got some kind of say over our lives. Okay? You know, that if things are bad, that we can change them. We can make things better for our family. But I need you to be safe. Nothing's so safe anymore, mate. And without that, Jimmy, I need nothing's you to safe be at safe. all. All right. All right. I have stood by for all of it. Until now. Not for this, Jimmy. I just can't. So, you train all you want. Make a show of it for yourself, for the papers. But you find a way out of that fight. Break your hand again if you have to. So what's driving her? Fear? Yeah. Is her fear irrational? No, it's, it's very rational, isn't it? But we can see how the fear, the emotion, is really pushing her forward. And you can hear it, can't you? Okay, this is not a calm, everyday kind of conversation. There's real anxious, anxiousness in her voice. Okay, real concern for what might happen to her husband. And so the way she's behaving, the words that she's choosing, and especially the tone of voice that, that we hear as she, as she expresses herself, tells us that this is something that has really grabbed control of her. This is what hijacking emotional hijacking looks like. Anyone ever experienced that or been on the receiving end of that? Sure, most of us have. <clears throat> we all have, okay? And this is the kind of thing which we want to begin to learn to uh, get control of, especially if it's something that is a chronic problem. Most of us have things that set us off, right? We have hot buttons that get pushed. And so being aware of that in advance and beginning to think through, how can I deal with that more effectively? One of the most um, simple things that I've heard of is to pause when you feel yourself uh, about to explode and take a sip of water or a drink of coffee if you're in a meeting where you can have that. In fact, we had a friend who did exactly that. He had a terrible time of blurting out things in meetings and then regretted it later on. And so the advice was, look, just take in a cup of coffee or a glass of water. It takes about six seconds to go from uh, the desk up onto your mouth and then back again and swallow before you speak. And in that six seconds, he was able to overcome this hijacking that was happening emotionally. His prefrontal cortex was, be able, was able to begin to snap into things, and he wound up being able much better to manage uh, what it was that he wanted to say and not have his emotions be the driver behind everything that he said. Okay, so the spiral of hijacking and flooding. Flooding just means, as it sounds, it's just something that goes on for a long time where you get stuck in that emotion. It recycles and it comes back again and again and again. Okay, hijacking, flooding. If you're familiar at all with peacemaking and peacemaker ministries, we often talk in terms of the progression of an idol. And an idol is just anything in our lives that we pursue rather than God. Oftentimes, it's a good thing, okay? With my wife and I, for example, uh, one of the things I try to do is make sure that we are carefully stewarding our money, our finances. But for me, this is an area of great insecurity, okay? And as a result of that, I find oftentimes when I talk with Cindy, I go from a desire to have a conversation about our finances and what we're going to spend this month or what we think we're going to spend to actually beginning to insist that certain things are important and certain things aren't important and in a not very kind way because my emotions have kicked in and my anxiety level has risen. If Cindy disagrees with me, what I wind up doing is I often judge her. And you know what I think to myself? I think she doesn't care about our money. Right? She just wants to spend, spend, spend. <laughs> okay. Okay. And she is, uh, is not at all on the same page as me. And I can wind up punishing her with my tone of voice, uh, with a decision that I might unilaterally make, and so on. So what's happened in my life is rather than loving my wife okay, and serving and honoring her as I'm, the vow I made when we got married, Okay, what I've allowed is something else, my anxiety over finances, to move in place of God. And it's that anxiety that's driving me here through this cycle 
Desire a good thing. Managing finances, being good stewards, great. You know, that's godly. But the way we go about it can be very ungodly. Okay, so we have to watch that. So this idea of desire, demand, judge, and punish. And by the way, if you're ever with someone or if you yourselves, I hope not, but if you do, find yourselves speaking words of punishment or in some way judging someone, think back. At the top of that, there's probably a desire that became a demand and it wasn't met, and that now has functionally replaced God in the center of our lives, and we are now pursuing that, and this typically is the pattern that it follows. When hijacking happens, there's this trigger event, and it tends to express itself in a couple of ways, and this is in your notebook. Um, if we take the offensive, what we'll do, tend to do, is become angry and critical, and then overwhelmed and have a hardness toward the other person. If we're on the defensive, we'll play the victim. Okay? We may become confused and we may become hopeless. And sometimes we actually are both at the same time in the same conflict, which can really make things, really make things difficult. In general, as emotions rise, reasoning goes down. Anybody doubt that? You know, psychologists have actually done studies of people uh, in the midst of an emotional hijacking. And what they found is they can lose as many as 15 IQ points in trying to think through. So if you find yourself, when you're in this big emotional state, unable to think carefully or logically, that's why. It's because all of your brain's energy is going into that emotion, paying attention, attention to that emotion. And the ability to reason actually leaves us for a temporary period of time. And so this is where counting to 10 or taking a break can be really helpful to get the emotions back under control again. Well, are you tired of being yanked around by an invisible puppeteer? A lot of our emo emotional responses are like that. We're responding out of habit. In my case, 67 years I've been working at these habits. Boy, I tell you, they are tough. They are like trying to chip granite with, with, uh, with a fork. Okay. And I have this experience of responding in particular ways, in particular situations. And yet, with, God, with God's grace, I and all of you can begin to respond differently. God is in the business of transformation. He doesn't allow us to stay as we are. And that's something that we can be thankful for. We're going to watch the final clip uh, from Cinderella Man, and then we'll take a break. Uh, this is much, much later. It's the night of the fight, and May has come to visit Jim in the locker room. Okay? And notice the difference in the way she responds this time compared to the clip that we just saw. All right. Let's see. How's that? What?
nice girl like you. I see it. afraid yeah and she still has reason to be afraid but what a difference in how God made Braddock was Christian God has enabled her to bring all of this under control and so there's now a sense of we're in this together whereas before there was this separateness you are causing me pain you are running the risk of leaving me without a husband and our children without a father that fueled her earlier, the earlier clip that we saw. Okay, big difference, more under control, and able to now head into this event uh, as a team, working together. I love that line, you know, go home, boxers hang around here. <laughs> you wouldn't want to hang out with that kind of crowd. True story, Jim Braddock wins the bout. He becomes uh, champion, heavyweight champion for a couple of years, and then loses to Joe Lewis, I can't remember, 38 or 40, something like that.